Welcome to episode 61 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365 and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on the 3rd of November, 2016, and I'm your host, Pat Richard. And today I'm joined by Tom Arbuthnot and Stolly Hansen. Welcome, guys. It's been a while since the three of us have been on a, uh, an episode together. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, it's been a bit, bit, a bit too long, but there we go. We're all busy. We're here now, so uh, <laughs> be good to... to rattle through some news and uh, have a chat yeah it's the it's the all skype show i guess today so uh first up let's head into our top stories microsoft teams was released uh, yesterday to preview so still not rtm but in preview so um what's everybody think of it it's uh, it's kind of an interesting little client kind of a yammer killer uh the big competitor uh microsoft's competitor to uh slack i guess uh tom what do you think i saw your uh your uh, article on how to enable it in Office 365. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. It's just obviously throwing up a lot of questions. Um, it's interesting you say Yammer killer. Um, I guess everybody um, like everybody that likes Yammer is probably not going to say it's a Yammer killer. Everybody that really likes Skype is not going to say it's a Skype killer. And it's it's a weird one because it kind of overlays on all the Office 365 technologies. So I've certainly seen a lot of threads on. Um, on Twitter saying, you know, is, is this the new Skype for business? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's very much, you know, in the Slack Spark space. So it's this idea of products have chat rooms and chat rooms can have files and they can escalate to conferences and everything. And um, certainly, you know, we're a technology company, you know, about 100 people, give or take. Um, that works well for our internal ways of working. Um, I'm not sure that's every business, um, but certainly if you look in the kind of tech and new media space and, and any kind of you know fast-moving type companies, it certainly seems that the, the, the Slack idea is really, really penetrating those businesses. So I think it's an interesting addition to the 365 stack. So what do you think of it uh, from a P-Chat perspective? Because I love P-Chat, and I always, uh, <laughs> I always thought that it was a, it was a great complement to, to have in Skype for Business. And if you had individual teams that wanted their own little chat rooms, uh, you know, persistent chat was perfect, and you could escalate yeah. to an entire conference, and you can do – you know, you've got the persistent chat history, you've got the ego feed, all that. This looks like it's somewhat positioned to kind of replace that um, without the ego feed. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's a, a valid uh, a comparison? The P-Chat thing makes me laugh. I remember way back when you when you worked in Modality, you were one of the proponents of we should all be using P-Chat, and it was always an uphill, uphill battle, and that was mainly because of no mobile support. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it could potentially fill that space for PJAT. Yammer, you know, didn't really do that. It was too kind of, uh, no, I don't even know why. It's just, just a little bit too much effort. It wasn't quite as flowing as like PJAT or IRC. Mm-hmm. Um, but groups feels like it could potentially fill that space. It's just still a bit, it's not Teams. quite as, uh, yeah, sorry, Teams, yeah, it should, should fill that space. It's um, got a reasonable mobile client. You've got some nice things as well. You've got rich text formatting. You've got images in line. You've got GIFs and emojis and stuff, which everybody you know, likes. I'm not sure they're super business related, but people like them, so they'll use the tool. So, yeah, I think that idea that PChat is a permanent collaborative space, it could it could meet that requirement. Yeah, and of course, we you know, PChat's really seen no love in recent recent years and um you know like like you mentioned there's no mobile clients so that was that was somewhat of an issue 
Um, the other issue was there was no uh, federation in PeatChat, so you were kind of limited to teams within your own organization. And they're really that's really the same case here, right? We don't have federation between teams in in um, in different organizations. Yeah, that's that's my biggest disappointment of, of teams at the moment. Like we, you know, particularly as MVPs and guys in the community, there's a lot of cross-company collab, and we always miss the ability to do that in in something like PeaChat, and then we're missing it in Teams as well. Like UC Architects would obviously have a Teams room potentially, or you know, it's kind of, kind of a Teams group, whatever you want to call the subset of a Teams. Um, and then the same in modality, like we, you know, we work with lots of external customers and bits and pieces, and that's something you can do in Yammer um, that you can't yet do in Teams. So I'm, I'm hoping that comes along in Teams. Yeah, what I think is better with um, Teams or PeaChat is uh, you can you have threaded um, discussions, and also um, you you can mention people. I think that's a good thing though. In, in, in advance to um, PeaChat. And uh, in terms of Jammer, I think um, that uh, teams are, yeah, you can actually edit your posts. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Facebook and, model where you can fix your typos and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, but but only for 24 hours, not forever. And that's a good thing too. And because I remember posting to Yammer is like, oh man, that typo, or I pressed enter too soon, or something like that. It's like uh, it's irritating. But uh, yeah, uh, I really um, hope that they will bring in the federation. I believe they will as well because it's based on groups and it's. Uh, using the limitations of groups and the advantages of groups as well. And um, but uh, what I will see is uh, you have the Teams clients and uh, have multiple profiles or something like that. So uh, you can switch between uh, accounts maybe. Um, that would be great. Or or just have different networks as you do in Yammer or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. That would be that would be kind of nice. Uh, one thing I did notice is. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's no ego feed like there is in persistent chat, which I always thought was one of the best features. You know, if you set something up for, you know, say Skype for Business uh, as uh, a keyword, then, you know, whenever that appeared in a conversation, then you would get notified and you could pick how you got notified. Um, you don't really have that here in, in Teams yet, uh, but you do have a pretty flexible a way of being notified depending on uh, various things such as you know whether you're mentioned whether it's a chat message whether there's replies to conversations that you're involved in or conversations you started you can pick you know do you just see a notification in the client do you get an email etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, I, I like that kind of flexibility a little bit where you can kind of dial down the noise if you want to so Tom um, tell us how do you enable it uh, for your organization yeah, so it's actually super easy to enable. It's um, they announced the preview on the second of November, and uh, there was a big um, New York session with Modella where they they talked about it and stuff, and they they coordinated quite nicely enabling it um, across pretty much all the business tenants. So 181 countries, 18 languages, um, and all the e-plans and the business plans. So it's a preview feature, so they haven't enabled it by default. Um, although quite 
cheekily, I think, um, if anybody who's an Office 365 user goes to teams.microsoft.com and it's not enabled, they get a nice landing page saying, go hassle your admin to enable this. Um, so clearly they want to nudge it out there. Um, but for, for an Office 365 admin, if you jump into your tenant admin uh, portal and go to settings and then service in add-ins, you should see uh, Microsoft Teams there. And it's simply a case of clicking it and clicking enable. You have a bunch of um, features you can turn on and off, which is quite a nice level of control. Uh, I saw like you can turn uh, video in meetings, you can turn uh, off and on screen sharing in meetings, you can turn on and off the animations and emojis, you can turn on and off tabs, you can turn on and off bots. So lots of lots of granular control, especially at this early in a preview, which is interesting. Um, but you know. As you're testing it in preview, you probably want to stick all of that stuff on if you can and get a feel of how it works. Um, as soon as you flick that switch, you go to teams.microsoft.com. It will run you through a little wizard saying, set up your first team, and then, and then you're in. And it, it is an enable globally for your tenant. So if you're turning it on, you're essentially unleashing it on anybody in your tenant. So um, be ready for people to grab it and adopt it and see what they do with it. <laughs> unleashing it, he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if you're running a hundred thousand user org, you, you you want to dip your toe in. There's no, you know, you have to run that on a test tenant or something. So, not everybody necessarily realizes, you know, if you're running that big a company, just flicking it on, you might uh, you might be uh, opening up more than you anticipated. But that's the way of the the new world, isn't it? I mean, the people that find this would have also found Slack or HipChat or something else. So, that's the new world. So, yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, it could be um, if it is enabled for your tenant, you won't find it if you log into portaloffice.com that some users may expect. You need to go to the URL that uh, Tom mentioned. And, um, yeah, so, so you need to know that it's enabled before you can go there. Hmm, okay. So six months from now, you think it's got serious traction over Slack? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, they've certainly got a leg up. If you think about, I think the number is something like 85 million Office 365 subscribers. So, you know, if they convert a third of that, you know, a quarter of that, whatever, that's big, big numbers. And, and it's included in all the EU and all the business plans. I want to say for free. It's not for free because you pay a subscription, but there's no additional charge as such. Um, so in that respect, I think it's got some potential. Uh, however, on the flip side, you know, Slack has free tiers and, and Teams doesn't. Slack has the cross-fed pool model. So a lot of the, the Slack rooms I'm in are things like, um, you know, PowerShell user groupy type stuff or, um, Pluralsight run a lot of stuff on Slack. So, so I'm, I'm pulled into that ecosystem by virtue of it being cross, you know, cross company, cross or cross person. Um, there won't be that same pull necessarily on, on Teams day one. Um, but yeah, I think it's got, I think it's got potential. Um, if, if Microsoft keep up with adding new features, it's got massive potential. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, th- I also think that Microsoft is really dedicated to making Teams work. And, uh, what we see now is just like 0.1 set of features. And uh, I think there will be a lot of additions, and they're going to play around with a lot of different features uh, in the coming months, I guess. And still, right now, it's in uh, in preview as well. So I would guess that it would get some new features as well until release. And um, 
and uh, we'll see we we'll see how it rolls. But uh, yeah, the integration with OneNote and uh, integration with uh, OneDrive, the recent documents, everything is there, and uh, I think that's an advantage, especially for um, collaborative business users, and um, and um, that's where the money is, right? Right. I, I I think you know that's this is definitely where. Um where Teams shines is by bringing in things like OneDrive and OneNote and allowing, you know, you've got the the chat, you've got your files, you've got your notes, everything. I think it makes for a better collaboration platform than other things that have been out there. So yeah, I, and you can open, if, if you work in OneNote as well, you can open that across a lot of devices. You mm-hmm. don't have to be in Teams to work on it. And uh, and I've, I've, I've been using OneNote as my note-taking tool and uh, and remembering tool, and uh, I th- I find that to be an attractive idea. Yeah, I agree. I, I think if they add the, the cross-org federation, I think it'll be a, a substantial win uh, versus Slack. Um, I mean, you know, like Tom, like you said, you know, you can be in groups that are across all these um, different, uh, different groups and everything. And, and I think that's the one thing that's really missing in teams right now is, is something like that. So what do you guys uh, think regarding, uh, like everyone can create a team and can get lots of teams. And, and if you have no restriction on that, does it scale? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, that, that used to be a, a thing with P chat is you would get this massive amount of sprawl and P chat's only really typically massive in finance. So we have a few finance customers that live on it. Um, and some of them have a very strict uh, control mechanism around creating pchat rooms, so you literally have to go and request one. And the ones that have free form, anybody can make them. There are thousands and thousands of essentially abandoned rooms. So I think it, I think it has potential to sprawl. Um, but it's kind of this new world where it sort of theoretically doesn't matter. You're like you don't pay for storage anymore for any of that stuff. It's like, you know, the Gmail concept, like nobody empties their Gmail inbox. It's just an infinite inbox. And I guess that's the same concept with Teams. Yeah, my my concern though in based on you saying that is what about uh, discovery? You know, when if you're in a regulated industry like finance, um, what about discovery of content that's in uh, in teams when you have the ability of everybody create, can create their own teams and nothing ever gets uh, cleaned out? Do you think that's going to be a problem? Yeah, I, I, I know that they um, when they launched, they talked about obviously it's in Office 365, so it has all the Office 365 ISOs and HIPAA and all that good stuff. Um, I don't believe there's any kind of the independent third-party archiving or compliance story. So, um, yeah, certainly if you're in a compliance org and editing in a compliance org is always tricky, even if it's time limited, you know, um, theoretically you could post a message saying buy this stock, then go back and edit it. Is there a record of that edit? Things like that. Um, probably at, at this stage, those kind of questions are going to come up in somewhere, you know, like finance with high compliance. Um, but for everywhere else, you know, do they care that, Team sprawl discovery, I think, is a challenge at the moment. So I, I don't fully understand the discoverability model of new teams. It seems like they're sort of hidden unless you get invited at the moment. Right. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, some of these things get addressed and we can, uh, you know, federate in the future. That would be that would be super. Um, we could be on a team. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, we can be on a. Uh, 
UC Architects team and kind of use that as a collaboration platform? Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of from a Microsoft point of view, this is a preview, you know, it's GAQ1. They're, they're doing this because they're out for feedback. So if you can, you know, put it on on your tenant, have a play and do feedback into Microsoft because if we all say we want federation, then that goes up the list of priorities. That's kind of how it works in the, the new slightly more agile world. Yep, agreed. Okay, moving on. Uh, office. So uh, before we move on, maybe sure. Pat, let's talk about the um, Skype business uh, angle of this. I, I see a lot of Skype business people wondering: Will this replace the Skype business clients, uh, or will Skype business still live on? What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, Skype business is gone now. I reckon this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he crashed at that point. <laughs> yeah. He, he laughed desperately. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so so we've obviously we've had a lot of conversations in, internally about that, and it, you know, it does do video and it does do voice for meetings. It's there's no way it replaces Skype today. You know, there's no PSDN access for conferencing. There's no making PSDN phone calls. There's no even making calls outside your tenant or meetings outside your tenant. So it's it, and it's not even designed to be the same use, use case. You know, yes, you can do peer-to-peer chat as such, but it's not quite the same as, you know, running 20 chat, you know, tabs like we do in Skype today. Um, you know, on the flip side, it has potential for some people, for some use cases, to replace how they use Skype. But in the, in the orgs we tend to deal with, you know, where they use it as their their phone system, as their external meeting system, as their, you know, conference system. It's certainly today, Teams isn't that. I don't think Teams is aimed to be that. I think it's aimed to be Slack at the moment, really. Yeah, it's, it could be confusing, though, if, uh, if you start using Teams uh, heavily within your team and, and then you try to bring in external people or you want to have a meeting with external people, then you need to move to Skype for Business in order to schedule that meeting and, uh, and bring in video interoperability and stuff like that as well. So, like, Teams is like... Yeah, I agree with that, except that everybody who uses Slack and HipChat doesn't have a meltdown when they have to flip to Outlook for their email and to, you know, AT&T conferencing service for their conferencing or whatever. Like, that is true, and it's one company, so it could... Giving people all the options under one roof can be a bit confusing, but in the real world, people do use different tools and they manage not to have their heads explode. So, hopefully, <laughs> by large, that's the way it'll work. Yeah, but uh, I would love the to UAT see that it merges disagree. with this kind of business conference bridge, uh, and and you get some of those features in there as well. Um, yeah, it could, it could get confusing in the future. You know, if you have if you get the external Fed and you get the PSN dialing in this, then it will be a slightly different conversation. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think anybody who's doing Skype for Business at the moment, this is an addition, not a replacement. Yeah, right. And and also you have all these other scenarios within Skype for Business that is more telephony centric and PBX related and and stuff like that. So I'm not seeing Skype for Business going away anytime soon. Anyway. Just to the cloud. No. Yeah. Well, that's it. Cloud PBX has obviously got a massive amount of investment, so um, that's a big play. Yeah. It's not going away. It's just going to the cloud. Um, right, and, and I, I agree with that. It, it, two, two different use cases here um, with, you know, no no razor-sharp distinction down the middle between them. 
um, you know, you've got some crossover there where you, you, you could, if you tend to work just internally in your organization, you could use teams um, to do most of your work, I think. Um, but it's, it's not going to replace Skype for business anytime soon. So, okay. But, uh, then again, if you look at the Mac client, um, the layout of the Teams client, they, they look kind of the same. So yeah, you could see see some kind of move towards like a merged client or I don't know. That, 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 I think that's just design language, isn't it? They've decided that that's the design language this week. So yeah, I think it. I think it makes adoption of the the various clients a little easier when they look similar. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's let's move on. And um, the next thing up is Office three sixty five. So. Um, now we have UK data centers. I know this uh, is, is a few weeks back, but uh, um, you now can choose which data centers your uh, uh, your tenant is in. And, uh, Tom, you wrote up a, a pretty good article on this. Tell us about it. Yeah, so, I mean, this is just one of a few places where um, regional um, Office 365 and Azure data centers are popping up. So in in the, in the UK, you know, there's um, lots of government services, lots of um, health services. All our health services is national, um, and there are regulatory reasons why people want to keep some data on or some services on British soil. Um, and evidently, that was enough to warrant Microsoft building data centers in the UK dedicated to. Office 365 and Azure, and I think that's happening in Germany too, and it's happening in a few other places as well. Um, so I think it's really good news. It's it's another way to just you know remove those challenges of of leveraging the cloud, of leveraging Office 365. Um, it's worth worth understanding that as these new data centers roll out, not all services go into them day one. So you, you want to have a look at what services you're consuming of the, you know, the Office 365 or the Azure stack and see when your service goes live. But all the core services are, are there, I think. Yeah, and as we saw at Ignite, some PowerShell capabilities to move users back and forth. You know, uh, if you're if you're a multinational and you have them all stuck in one data center now, you can you can spread them out. Yeah, so that's that's an even bigger deal than this, I think. Yeah, putting your entire workload in the UK is one thing, but being able to move users uh, or have one tenant and have users in different regions, I think, is huge for the multinationals. Right, right, yep, and hopefully those features in PowerShell will be available pretty soon. I think it's just in preview now, allowed to do it, but uh, we, sh- we should see that very soon. Yeah, okay. I think so. All right, well, that does it for Office 365 for the most part for us uh, for this episode. Uh, Skype topics. So uh, we're getting close to the end of the year, the calendar year, and uh, one of the things that uh, people or admins uh, have to make sure they do is if you've got response groups, you got to make sure you set up your holidays for the for the next calendar year so that all your response groups uh, properly honor those uh, those settings. And there's a couple ways you can do that now. So. Um, ucgeek.co those guys uh, came out with a pretty cool uh, utility that uh, allows you to do a whole bunch of different administrative tasks in one uh, little GUI and one of the things that uh, is in there is the ability to do uh, set your holidays in a uh, in a UI instead of just through PowerShell which is how you have to do it in Skype for Business uh, natively but they're not the only ones that uh, that do that. Uh, you know, it's th- what I find the hardest is just getting a list of valid holidays for the next year. 
and no one ever seems to you know have a complete list and if you're a multinational company then you've got to deal with uh, you know holidays in different countries and how it affects different response groups etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, ucgeek.co check out their um, admin tools product as well as uh, there is a script on the technet gallery that will allow you to import australian holidays for uh, this year and next year and the one that i usually use is the one over at waveformation.com and uh, jamie schwinn has had his product out for a number of years i think all the way back to uh Link Server 2010, um, a simple little PowerShell script that brings up a, uh, a UI and allows you to set your different holiday groups and uh, you know open and close times and things like that. So, uh, plenty of different ways to configure your holiday settings for next year. But you can't say that I didn't warn you that uh, you need to get those done before the end of the year. Uh, next up is a response group time frame editor. This is from James Arbor. Um, and it's available on the, uh, the TechNet uh, gallery. So what it does is it gives you a UI to better set up your workflows, uh, especially around your hours of business. So if you're having some issues or with just like an easier way of doing this, check out uh, James's uh, script. It's actually pretty, pretty straightforward, makes it a lot easier for you. Um, Tom, CCE update so what's what's new i know this is this one's a little uh, a few weeks old but what's new in 1.41 yeah this is a a bit old now but um it's an interesting one to talk about so cc141 is, is the latest and current version as of this podcast and it has a, a management service for auto updates now so this is really taking us into a place with cce where Microsoft see it as a black box appliance that is managed from the cloud and it's essentially an extension of the cloud into your data center. So under the covers, it's pretty interesting. You're running Hyper-V and you've got four VMs on Cloud Connector Edition. Um, a refresh for everybody. So Cloud Connector Edition essentially is like a, a little cut down mediation and edge server service so you can bring your own PSDN uh, services to Office 365. So when I make a phone call to another PSDN number, it goes via my local carrier, but all my signaling and call controls in the cloud, it's just a carrier gateway, essentially. Um, and it runs on uh, four VMs on Hyper-V. In, in 141, there's this update service that can literally pull down a new version, run another four VMs side by side, stand them up, make sure it looks like the services are running, flip the IPs across from the existing four VMs to the new four VMs, check it all works, and then shut the old VMs down. So it's uh, the first version with this auto-updating ability, which is really interesting. So how does that affect calls in progress? Aha, funny you ask. Um, so I've got a list of things that I was... Uh, uh, going to investigate, and that is on the list. I don't believe you can schedule the um, the time the update happens. So, you, so you can obviously schedule the update to be out of hours, which is good. 
The thing that I had outstanding that I must admit I haven't chased on yet is can you schedule the download of the updates? Because if you've got not tons of bandwidth, you might want to schedule that. Um, in terms of the actual update happening, you have had a scheduling ability for that to say, you know, do it at two in the morning or whatever. And it, and it's supposed to fall back gracefully. So it's like an AB partition thing. If anything doesn't appear to be working, it will fail back to the existing VMs. So um, it should be... You know, theoretically, in terms of how they're doing it, it's a pretty neat method. Obviously, we haven't really had any updates yet to know how well this works in the wild, so we'll uh, we'll see when the next version drops. You know, it kind of reminds me of the old Cisco firewall uh, firmware thing. You know, basically, you download this new firmware, and then you tell it, all right, now start running with this one, and it just reboots and comes up with a new firmware. Yeah, definitely. It's that, it's that AB partition thing. You know, Gateways do it today. Sonos does it. Call Manager used to do it. Um, it's nice to know you can go backwards and forwards. Yeah. Uh, the, the difference here is that the machine, the cloud, is making the decision for you, which is interesting. Yeah, we'll yeah see. and the biggest change for me on this uh, version was that um, it requires even more planning uh, before deploying it than it did in the version before that. And uh, it does everything for you in Office 365 uh, while you deploy it. So you need to provide the Office 365 credentials and, and stuff like that. So it's a more comprehensive install as well. And I was kind of surprised that it did such a big change between two like versions uh, of the CC in, in pretty short time frame and uh, it's really changed how you work with the CC in, in general actually. Uh, next up, uh, the bandwidth calculator, new version of the Escape for Business bandwidth calculator was released, version 2.70. So um, this is the Excel spreadsheet that helps you figure out your WAN bandwidth requirements uh, for a deployment of Skype for Business. So um, I'm a big fan of the Excel spreadsheets used for planning, <laughs> having written one myself. Uh, so check it out, uh, the new one. Uh, it's available on uh, the Microsoft site, and we'll get a link to that in the summary page. Uh, next up, Anthony Carrigal comes out with another nice little uh, tip. And this is, uh, you know, when you have, uh, when you click on Meet Now from the Skype for Business client, it takes you to a new meeting space. Um, but you might prefer to, to go to a dedicated meeting space. And Anthony figured out a way of adding a little item to the context menu in the Skype for Business uh, client using some registry entries that gives you a Meet Now dedicated link. And um, it's pretty straightforward. And so check that out. We'll get that in the summary page as well. Uh, next, we have uh, Skype for Business Online Multi-Region. Automated meeting migration and exchange server voicemail. That's a mouthful. Tom, tell us about this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was um, a few new uh, public bits of roadmap information that dropped. Um, and uh, Microsoft's getting more and more kind of cloud PBX roadmap stuff into the, uh, into the public domain now, which is cool. So uh, let me just grab the article so I can go through them in order. Yeah, so this is really uh, three things that Microsoft have been talking about in the, in the public domain now, which is cool. The, the, the big one is the multi-region capabilities. So for the, for the longest time and today in general availability, when you set up Office 365, you pick, uh, pick a single location globally, and that is your tenant. So every 
you know, Exchange mailbox, every Skype meeting you have, every SharePoint site all lives in that data center in that region, and your services come out of that. And that's fine for email mostly and fine for SharePoint, but for Skype it can be challenging because all your meetings are on that MCU, so all the audio and video goes to that data center and back to the users. So if I have a, a, a Azure, or sorry, Office 365 tenant in Dublin, and I've got, you know, the, the modality team in Australia, that's a fair old distance for them to be conferencing. Surprisingly, it mostly works most of the time between well-connected regions because the transatlantic connections sometimes are quite good. So today, I'm on a US tenant and I do all my conferences from the UK and I don't really notice any noticeable performance dip. But that being said, this new ability that's coming soon is the ability for your Skype services to pick a more local data center for selected users. So you set the region in Office 365, and initially your Skype service, and then in time the other services will be rehomed to the most local data center for that geo, which means all your conferences are more local. Um, so I'm pretty so excited is, about that one. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what we somewhat mentioned earlier about you know Office 365 and, and, uh, and Azure now being available in the UK data centers as well. One thing it doesn't do is it doesn't give you barbelling. No, no, that's true. So it doesn't bring you each person to their nearest data center and then kind of magically bridge them across the network. It's still Skype. The way the Skype MCU works is everybody ends up in the same place. So, And that's interesting because just because I live in London doesn't mean that necessarily all of my conferences are with people in the UK or Europe. You know, I spend quite a lot of time talking to US people. So actually... You know, should my MCU live in London or not is an interesting question. But by and large, people tend to work at least in region with people in the same region in the same time zone. So for most people, it's going to make sense. Um, and then the, the sorry, go this sorry. applies this this applies only to um, Skype for Business and especially PSN calling and conferencing, right? It's not for the entire the profile your exchange and SharePoint, it's just for... Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, it's for Skype initially, but certainly there's been talk about other workloads having that ability in due course. I know the exchange team talked about it at some point. So this is an announcement from the Skype team, so it's definitely Skype-related. I believe the intent is to have other workloads in due course. And, and then the other two... Are, the other two announcements are slightly smaller ones, but also interesting. So the meeting migration service um, today, we've been doing a lot of this. We've been moving people from Skype server to, to Cloud PBX, um, Skype Business Online. Today, when you do that, all your meetings um, obviously have a URL and a phone number set for your server. And if you're moving to cloud, you get a new meeting URL and a new set of phone numbers. So you need to change all your pre-booked meetings to the new service. The way you do that today is a client-side MSI. You know, it grabs through your Outlook. It changes all the appointments, goes and grabs new meeting coordinates from Office 365 and resends all the appointments. It, it works but it's not the slickest thing in the world. You know, it's user-end stuff. The, the meeting migration service is going to put that on the back end for, for people for, with um, Exchange Online mailboxes. So as you move users, it will be clever enough on the back end to go, oh, your Skype service is now in the cloud. We'll just reset all your meetings. So that's pretty a pretty nice addition. 
I think um, that's I mean, huge. Because that's huge, yeah. Because you know the biggest pain point that I, I, I've seen when you've moved users is getting them to run that MSI file, and yeah. it's just I mean, granted, only people that organize meetings really really need to run it, but it's it can be freaking painful. I mean, you've got yeah, to tell it takes it takes a it takes a fair amount of time to run as well. So we you know we kicked over some of our uh, PM team from prem to cloud. And yeah, they had a lot. They they live in meetings, so they had a long time while that MSI tool was chugging through all their meetings and resetting them. Being able to so that will ease the um, yeah, and that that will ease the move to the cloud, right? Mm. <laughs> it will definitely. Anything you can take off the user is a good thing, obviously. Right, I agree. And so I know that that was in preview now. I think, am I correct? Uh, I think they've opened up the preview for acceptance, but I don't believe that the preview has kicked off yet as such. I think okay. it's it might even still be up to get into. Um, I'm not sure if they've closed it yet or not, but um, certainly we haven't had anything to play with yet. Yeah, I know that they were uh, were talking about it at uh, Ignite uh, a month or so ago, so hopefully it's right around the corner because that, that has just been a pain point for, for migrations. Uh, so what about, uh, here's something that's new in uh, the iOS and Android mobile clients lately got uh, a very welcome update. Video-based screen sharing is now available uh, for the iOS and Android clients. So uh, bringing more features down to uh, those on the go, that's always a good thing. Yeah, this was just a, a true up really. Um, so we've had video-based screen sharing on the, on the PC client for a while and the, the mobiles were using the old RTP stuff. And what happens on, on Skype is if anybody uses RDP, everybody gets down. No, downgraded is not the right word, but it flipped to RDP. Um, whereas now the mobiles use the VBSS, so everybody can use VBSS, which is a bit more performant. Yeah, and, uh, and that's always good. Uh, Greg and Sydney, where would we be with the UC Architects without mentioning either Greg and Sydney or James Cousin or, or, or a couple other people that yeah, we have really nothing cool to tools. talk about basically <laughs> <laughs> love Greg's work yep so uh, Greg came out with um, a certificate expiry checklist so um, obviously one of the everything in, in Skype for Business runs with uh, the help of certificates if something goes wrong uh, I always say it's it's always certificates when it goes wrong. Greg has written a, a nice little uh, article about uh, tips and tricks and tools that can be used um, to keep track of your certificates to make sure that you're aware of when they are expiring and uh, easy ways to to replace those and update those certificates so that <clears throat> you don't have any outages for your users due to expired certificates. And uh, and I'll thank Greg now because he did mention my one of my scripts about uh, uh, new expiring certificate reminders. So thanks for the shout out there, Greg. So check it out and uh, make sure that, uh, that you stay up and running. Uh, posters. Everybody loves posters. I remember when they used to give these out all the time at the at the big conferences. Although I didn't see them at uh, at Ignite this time. But uh, two new posters for SharePoint 2016 and Skype for Business Server 2015 architecture. 
So you can download those now from Microsoft and uh, and view them on your machine. Or if you've got you know some way of printing something that big, well, oh, that's awesome because I, I I don't and I'd love <clears throat> I'd love to get some of these posters, but that um, they're available on um, on uh, TechNet and we'll get a link out to that. Next up, uh, Jeff Shirts, uh, our uh, colleague from Polycom and uh, Skype for Business MVP, has written an article about. Um, running the Polycom Trios with Skype for Business. And there are some recommendations around what versions of firmware, minimum versions of firmware you should use uh, if you're going to be connecting to Skype for Business. So uh, as usual, he's got a very detailed article on uh, updating the Trio 8800 firmware and making sure that you're on the uh, the latest and greatest and something that does support Skype for Business. So check that out. Here is a cool tool that or application that, that I really like, and I'm glad that I've been able to play with it. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to run this internally when I worked at Modality with Tom and everybody else. Uh, but Modality Systems has finally released their custom invite uh, application. And if you've ever organized a Skype for Business meeting and thought it would be really nice if we could automate and customize the, the meeting invite uh, text and its formatting and everything, well, Modality came up with a solution that does it. So this is a client-side uh, installation. And basically, when you create a new meeting request, it goes through and changes it to the format that you like. You can have uh, several different templates if you want. Um, I always go through mine and add a link to join via a web browser, uh, as well as some other information. And this, it's it's fabulous. I can't say enough about it. It has nothing to do with the fact that that uh, that I used to work there. Um, so, Tom, I, I know you guys put a lot of work into it, and this was something that uh, has gotten a lot of uh, publicity lately. So how's it working for you guys? Yeah, yeah, really good. We're pleased. I mean, this is like everything we do. It's pulled through from customers. So we build products because, you know, we do big deployments, and our customers say, wouldn't it be nice to have this or that? And, and, and customizing the invite it was something that just came up again and again. No, there's there's lots of use cases. So first off, most people in big or just want to brand their their invites. So they don't necessarily want to have join the Skype business meeting. They want to have join the X Y Z bank meeting, and they want to have pretty bank pictures, and they want to have their text explaining what the you know what the policy is around meetings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, it's it's about simplifying the join experience. So, the, the ask for a, a clickable link to force the web app is always one that comes up. You know, some people just want a fail-safe, hit this and get the web app experience. Um, also, the the Polycom Pexip, you know, kind of a Carnot type scenario where you have a um, a bridging system that brings uh, room-based systems into meetings for Skype. The only native way to kind of point that out today is to use the disclaimer text. Whereas with the custom invite plugin, we can do a really nice, however you want to format it, explanation of here's how you join the Skype meeting. And if you've got a room-based system, you click here or you put in this IP or you dial this ISDN number. Um, lots of flexibility to make that super clear. And, and it sounds like, a, you know, a nice to have, but actually when you're 
you're rolling out at scale or you're displacing an existing conference system, the more you can make that easier for the users, both internal and external, the more your, your adoption, your usage goes up. Yeah, I like how, um, I mean, it's kind of how it works. I mean, you, you open up a new meeting or a, a uh, create a new meeting request, and soon as um, Outlook pastes in the the, the default uh, meeting request text, then custom invite comes through and says, "Oh, hold on," and and, and replaces it with uh, whatever t- template that you have. Um, it, you know, so it's automatic. Um, I like the fact that it also adds a little drop-down uh, toolbar uh, or button on your toolbar that lets you pick different templates if you want. As yeah, so, so some so, so you can control all that via reg keys, GPOs as well. So you can lock it down tight to always have the single corp template, and you can update the templates centrally and push them out to users. So you know, promote webinars or whatever you want to do, kind of like email signatures. Um, but the idea of the drop down option is um, we have some companies where the the reception works for multiple different business units or even different sub companies and you know XYZ invite has to be branded this way and then ABC has to be branded this way. The the other one is lots of companies like to regionalize their language, you know, particularly in Europe, some companies are very specific about, you know, our customers are a big deal. It has to go in their native tongue because that's part of our service. So you can have drop down, you can have as many languages as you want and you can pick and choose. Yeah, and I I know that um, you know in playing around with this, um, the templates are based in RTF. So I spent you know a, a little while one day playing around with it. Hey, let's see you know what we can do with this. Uh, and it's pretty straightforward. I I love how how it works, and you know it, it might be trivial, but you know having that you know join from a web browser uh, link in there is is kind of nice. And and people have come back to me and said, hey, how did you format that way? You know, I I like how your meeting requests are formatted. <laughs> well, you know, let me tell you about invite. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And then, yeah. you know, it's um, you know, if if you want to try it, it's a client side MSI. So um, you know, Google custom invite one word, and I think it's the first hit. Um, client side MSI next next next, and you've got a you can get a kind of thirty day trial with a reg key and and have a play. Well, we're really up for feedback at Medali System as well so if you've got use cases or asks or features or stuff you know hit us on twitter or email or whatever and let us know we're really keen to hear that stuff yeah yeah it, it works real good and it comes with some pre-canned um, uh, templates to play with too so okay um vmware horizon vdi skype for business support Tom, boy, you've been busy writing articles lately. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been trying to keep the blogging going. It's, uh, <laughs> turns out if, we, if we don't do a show for a while, we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> exactly. So tell us about uh, um, VMware's VDI for Skype. Yeah, so I was a bit surprised to see this. This is quite good news. Um, in the VDI space, unified communications is a problem. Your desktop is remote on a server somewhere, and it's streamed down to you. And that's a beautiful thing for compliance because all the data is on the server or in the cloud somewhere. And it's a beautiful thing for local PCs because if you're a, a finance trader and your PC explodes, they can literally unplug a little terminal, plug in another little terminal, and, and you're exactly where you left off. So there are some good use cases of EDI, but but unified communications where we're streaming audio and video from that endpoint uh, is not a great use case of EDI. So you, you kind of 
if by default your audio and video would be in the virtual machine and it would also get streamed along with uh, the image of the screen, if you like, and that's bandwidth intensive, latency, suboptimal from a network routing point of view because, you know, if you're talking to somebody two floors up from you, actually what's happening is your audio and video is going all the way back to the data center through the virtual desktop to their virtual desktop and then back down to their PC. So um, the Skype team came out with a native plugin a couple of years ago now for the Microsoft BDI solution. Um, but in, in recent years, they've worked closely initially with Citrix, and Citrix have kind of, Microsoft and Citrix co-developed a plugin that brings the media stack down to the VDI terminal. So your audio and your video stay local to the machine while your VDI desktop is remote. It's really quite clever technology. It kind of, the audio stays local and the video essentially overlays on, on the virtual desktop. Um, and Citrix are the big player in that space, so it was good to see them first, but VMware not too far behind now with the same type of technology. It's a, a technical preview now. You can, um, if you hit my blog or Google VMware Horizon VDI Skype, um, you can email VMware and get on the, the technical trial. And I think they're aiming for a, um, a start of the preview in, in Q1 2017. Good, yeah. Yeah, and I saw your screenshot that you had on your blog, and uh, they kind of used some custom uh, UX uh, buttons, didn't they? Hopefully, yeah, they'll think- uh, be more native. I think that's in the preview. I'm hoping they, they certainly the Citrix one takes the um, the Skype iconography, so I'm hoping that the GA version of the VMware will be the same icons. Yeah, yeah, and and it also looked like kind of a link hack, <laughs> but uh, yeah. ho- hopefully it will be, look more like Skype for Business when it releases. Yeah, we, we know we know all the Skype people like their UI to be consistent, and quite rightly so, so I'm sure VMware will hear that feedback loud and clear. Until it's te- interesting. Teams comes along and you know has a different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no, no purple, right? Teams. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Teams and VDI is not a good mix. So there's no use case for Skype. <laughs> yeah, uh, in uh, in my part of the world as well, there's a huge install base on VMware, so uh, it's good to see that they are um, trying to to close the gap from Citrix, even though mm. Citrix already has been around for a year with their plugin. And uh, and you kind of look at it the other way as well. You know, this is a lot of development cycles for Citrix and VMware, so clearly they see enough critical mass in Skype in their customers to warrant the investment cycles. So it's kind of a positive sign for Skype for business as well. Yeah. But do you think Microsoft will come up with their own plugin? Uh, I don't know. They, they, they seem to have gone, you know, Citrix and Microsoft have always been fairly tight, and they seem to have gone back to the model where their go-to play for, for remote desktop is Citrix. So I can't see them doing their own thing when, frankly, you know, that's VMware and, and, and Citrix's world, and they can do probably a better job of optimizing the, the media stack. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, here's something that uh, that I ran across the other day. Um, basically, uh, it's a TechNet article about fixing problems when uh, your Skype for Business contact list and your Outlook Skype for Business contacts folder no longer synchronize with each other. Um, so Microsoft has detailed how to fix that using uh, MS, MFC Mappy. 
And if you are an Exchange admin, you're probably fairly familiar with that tool. But basically, you go into the mailbox and uh, and fix fix it. And they've got some screenshots that shows you how to do it. But what I found really interesting was way down at the bottom of this article, under more information, it says the sync between Outlook Skype for Business contacts folder and Skype for Business contacts is now deprecated. So I had not heard anything about that, but it's in this TechNet article. So I've always thought that the having the Skype for Business contacts folder as a separate contacts folder in Outlook was never a good idea. Um, you know, and if you're using um, uh, UCS, Unified Contact Store, then it got really kind of weird. I thought it was confusing for the end users. But uh, evidently, this is now deprecated. So, what have you guys seen about this? Not so, I, I think uh, <laughs> this is. I think this is where um, Unified Contact Store still uses Exchange for storing their contacts. So I think this is where you don't use Unified Contact Store, and, and that synchronization is deprecated, and well, more like it was in like 2010, uh, and uh, and that didn't work very well, did it? No, I think I think UCS really didn't pan out very well, and of course, if you're moving. Um, uh, you, if you're u- moving mailboxes to Office 365, then UCS breaks. Um, so I'm wondering if they're just finally just getting rid of that whole component just <clears throat> as more and more organizations are moving to Office 365 and just they're just kind of dropping the whole UCS idea. But that's just my thought. Uh, okay, Josh Blaylock. Um, a lot of people have heard of Josh lately and checked out his... Uh, uh, Skype for Business Recap uh, podcast. Uh, he has updated his uh, hybrid handbook to version 2.1. So if you are an organization that's looking to go from on-prem to hybrid mode, Josh has a great uh, handbook on the TechNet Gallery on uh, on how to do this. It's a PDF you can download. But it's pretty popular. And uh talks about everything that you need to do from setting up hybrid mode in the, uh, Skype for Business to Exchange integration, um, Azure AD Connect, things like that. So I, I recommend it. It's a good, uh, it's a good reference uh, book for, uh, for getting set up for hybrid. So check that out. Yeah, and like a bit of a shout to Josh and his uh, Skype Business Recap show as well. You know, he's been smashing that out week in, week out for quite a while now. And uh, there's a group of people who know how hard it is to consistently get content out when we're all busy. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for somebody who can uh, who can keep that up. So all of our audience that are into Skype should be following that Skype recap show. You know, it's typically like five or ten minutes of everything you need to know this week. Yeah, yeah I love it too. And he's good at keeping it short enough every time. Uh, and uh, so you can actually watch it for uh, on a regular basis. So, yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I uh, was talking to him, or talking with him at uh, Ignite, you know, and he had all his gear with him, and he went around and interviewed like a whole bunch of different people uh, throughout the week, and was able to to crank the content out uh, relatively quickly. So, you know, hats off to him. Uh, pun intended, since he's always wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> so, okay, so um, Tom, here's one you did: free Skype for Business online network assessment tool from Microsoft. So this is. Uh, you know, test to connect uh, uh, or testing the connection for uh, packet loss and jitter and things like that. So tell us about this. Yeah, this is really interesting. So um, part of, you know, Microsoft making sure people get 
Cloud PBX right and have a great experience is this Skype Operations Framework concept where they spent a lot of time mapping out exactly what you should do for success. Um, part of the steps for success with Cloud and Cloud PBX is doing a network assessment. And that's to ensure, you know, that your connectivity between your users and the cloud service is up to par. And that's that's not just about raw bandwidth necessarily. It's about, you know, your LAN switching, your routers, your firewalls, your port ranges, all that kind of stuff can affect your voice quality. Um, there's some stuff in market that does network assessments. Um, so, you know, Bit of a plug with Modality Systems, we have Skype test nodes, so we run Skype bots that make and receive calls, and we stick some in Azure and some on-prem and make calls. You know, there's IR, there's Nectar, um, there's, a, there's a few others around as well, all kind of doing similar things. Um, but Microsoft have just uh, put out almost like a kind of res kitty type tool that lets you do a free, a quick assessment yourself. Um, so it's a simple EXE, you, you download it, you run it, and what it's doing is it's hitting an Anycast IP on Azure, um, essentially kind of making a call, playing an audio file, then having that audio file return, and it's checking the packet loss jitter, round trip time, uh, reorder packet percentage. Um, and it has a, a second DXE in the tool pack that greps the results you get from the first test and gives you a nice pass or fail against the metrics that Microsoft recommend for a good a good quality experience. So totally free, you can download it, you know, it's a 20 megs or something, um, and and run a test, and you can just run it from any Windows machine. So um, certainly as like a first toe in the water for testing a network, it's really, really useful. So. Um, Event Zero, and of course Microsoft acquired all the uh, Event Zero technology and staff, and or some of the staff uh, late last year. Uh, uh, they have a, a a pretty similar tool where they can you can install a connector on any Windows machine, and it basically does the th- same thing. It 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 sets up a call between two of these connectors, basically working as as users and plays a known good audio file over there. And then, you know, since we know what the audio file uh, looks like at, at the sending end, then we can compare it at the receiving end. Same same philosophy. So uh, Yeah, so, so, so the Microsoft the Microsoft tool is is only doing a subset of that. So it only hits this one as your Anycast IP, right. which brings you to the most local input. So it's really for testing cloud. It doesn't, you know, you can't change the call length. You can't do a lot of stuff. Right. Whereas with like the Event Zero stuff or the Modality stuff, you can do internal testing as well. So yep. it's a it's a free it's a freebie. Go grab it and have a play. If you need something more extensive, you're still into the ecosystem partners. Yeah, and you- I, I think it's a really good quick fix and or quick test uh, to see if uh, if uh, from like. The, where you test it from to the nearest uh, Azure Edge, you can see if you, you do have decent uh, bandwidth and, and see that it, it should be okay. And if you then have an experience where uh, the quality with uh, doing conferencing with the cloud or stuff like that is not okay, then you need to look more like internally and then, uh, of course, you need to test in other ways. But I think it's like a really nice quick test to see if like yeah okay, this should go okay and in, in, um, in the cynic in me think the cynic in me thinks you know that they released it with like kind of very little fanfare i wonder if part of releasing a tool like this for free is if they get you know support issues they can just go 
bang, Mr. Customer, run this tool. You know, you're not passing. We know there's a network issue, which you know, which is a valid thing to do. So um, that might be a use case for Microsoft as well. You know, when, whenever I've done a deployment, you know, I run all the various uh, synthetic tests. And, you know, the ones that set up calls and test calls and, and things like that really don't test quality. They just do, you know, uh, yeah. calls, calls set up and teardown. You know, there's nothing about, you know, packet loss or latency or anything like that. It basically means did the two endpoints, you know, create a call and and, uh, and terminate that call? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. In theory, the feature is working, but from a quality perspective, um, you know, it takes a real... Uh, human before they, you know, to get on there before they realize, okay, it's the call's completing, but you know, it's, you know, the audio is terrible or something like that, and and this, something like this is definitely a way to kind of, uh, uh, you know, what I call mean time to innocence, you know, figure out where the problem is. Is this a network problem? And if so, punt it over the fence to the network people. And um, yeah, that that mean time to innocence thing in the cloud world is coming up more and more now because you know you've got your network team, you've got the ISP, and you've got yep. the cloud service. So knowing who to point at is is more important than ever before. Yes, agreed. So all right, great tool uh, to add to the toolbox um, for uh, for all the Skype admin. Skype for Business admins, I should say. All right. Well, that does it for this particular episode of the UC Architects. Uh, thanks to uh, Tom and Stolly for uh, stopping by. Guys, always good to uh, to hang out with you, and I look forward to seeing you guys at uh, the MVP Summit next week, as always. Yeah, not, not, not long now. It'd be good to catch up face-to-face for a, a few beers and a bit of chats. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's you know, it's be only fun. been a few weeks since Ignite. You know, we're... Uh, you know, we got to get together. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. one and a half weeks since we saw each other last time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I meet oh, you guys more than I meet my colleagues. So how did yeah. UC Day go? Oh, yeah, UC Day was great. So, um, yeah, we had a really decent turnout. Um, I think we were somewhere around the um, 350 people through the door. Uh, we had five tracks this year. Um, so we had some Azure and Cloud tracks along with Skype Exchange and Office 365. Um, and a, a lot of really, really good feedback from the, the people attending and sponsors. So we were really pleased. Uh, there's already, already, we've had the call last week about plans for bigger and better next year and we've had a lot of good feedback from microsoft around getting even more involved so uh, yeah pleased about that uh, you know full credit to uh, andrew price he's the mastermind behind that a few of us help him but honestly he carries the the vast weight of that that show on his shoulders so fair play to him yeah yeah and i had the honor of speaking there as well and uh, yeah, it was a good conference it was a really good mood and uh, uh, good audience as well that were there for learning and being active. So uh, I think it was one of the better conferences uh, out there. So uh, really recommended for next year. Yeah, and, and completely free as well. So I guess this this podcast gets a lot of audience, you know, around the world and around Europe. And um, UC Day is a, is a free conference. So you know, even if you're, we saw a big tick, uptick in people coming in from uh, Europe this year. And, and saying to us, you know, yeah, I have to take a flight in a hotel, but actually it's a free conference, so net, net, I'm, I'm winning there. And so, yeah, hopefully uh, even bigger next year. Great, great. Maybe I'll uh, make a trip across the pond. Yeah, we've got to get you over, Pat. Uh, yeah. Actually, talking of, talking of conferences, it's probably worth this uh, – 
assuming Andrew gets on it, the Unity Connect is the next conference a few of us are at in the Netherlands. Um, so that's in Harlem uh, in November 16th to 18th. Uh, I'm speaking there. I think Andrew Price is speaking there. Steve might be speaking there as well. Um, but there's, there's quite a few of us uh, at that show, and there's a few discount codes floating or floating around. So there's one on my on my blog if anybody's looking at uh, going to that in the Netherlands. Again, easy to get to for most of the people around Europe, and that's a really big show. Yeah, and I'm speaking at Tech Day Sweden uh, in the middle of November. I think it's uh, around the same date as Unity Connect. And it's two days in Sweden where arranged by Microsoft, and it's uh, actually quite a huge uh, conference, so looking forward to that. Very cool. We'll have to get the details up on the summary page, so uh, we'll get you guys some uh, some more people coming out there. So, All right. Well, finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online, obviously. Visit our website today at theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at theucarchitects. Be a friend and like us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash theucarchitects, or join our group on LinkedIn. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store, the Zoom marketplace, a bunch of other places. Uh, search for us in, uh, in our Windows 8.1 uh, podcast app, or subscribe to the podcast using the RSS feed in your favorite podcast downloader. See our website for links to everything on the show today. We'll see you back online for the next episode. 